welcome to the Girl Tries Life podcast, where we show you that women are capable of achieving anything they want when they've got the right tools, strategies, and mindset in place. My name is Victoria Smith. I am your host, and I'm a stress reduction coach who is all about helping you live your most vibrant life. One of the things I often say to clients is that life isn't stressless, but we can help you stress less. Just a heads up today, folks, I am recording this while... My child was watching television, so I know it's not the best ideal background. The actual interview itself is totally fine, but you know, we're bootstrapping today. That's how today goes. So the Girl Tries Life podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is powered by ATB. You guys, as I'm recording this, as it's going out, I have one week left of the ATBX Small Business Accelerator program. It has been a game changer. Like I am just so overwhelmed at what change has happened in my business, all the collaborations, everything that's happened that I would never have expected would have happened in my business, including as a result of ATBX right now. If you go to stresslessladies.com, my programs are actually available for pre-sale. What? Yep, stresslessladies.com. I'm going to be talking about it in an upcoming episode because I'm actually going to be interviewing Amy Mitchell, who is my co-coach in the group and the self-led program. But essentially, our program, Stress Less in 90 Days, is all about you helping you build the habits to lead a much less stressful life, develop the right mindset, have the right tools in place. Now, we have a self-led version, which is all videos and all online, and you go at your own pace. And then we're also going to be running our first group cohort in September. Now, they're both available for pre-sale. If you purchase before June 30th, we are going to send you a really awesome summer of self-care kit in the mail. So registering for early has great bonuses. We'll also be sending you a stress reduction meditation and a couple of other really fun goodies. So sign up before June 30th if you are looking for a little extra support on your journey to recalibrate your relationship with your stress. So again, that's a huge thank you to ATBX for getting me to where where I'm at and for Stressless Ladies to launch full-time. I'm super excited about it. Now they're running their Summer of summer of X uh, and you can, you can find more information about that at atb.com forward slash ATBX. I also recommend you check out the program as a whole and the next cohort is going to be running in September. So just go to atb.com forward slash ATBX, check it out, sign up if you think it sounds like a fit for you. I couldn't recommend it any more than I already have throughout the past few weeks. Now we're also going to run another quick ad by one of the fellow Alberta Podcast Network members, Modern Manhood. So take it away. In the modern world, for men, modern society has created a reawakening of the question, what does it mean to be a man? It is not as clear cut as it once was, and the answers are as varied, infinite, and complex as can be. This is where the podcast Modern Manhood comes in. Join me, Herman Villegas, as we explore how the different views of masculinity shape our daily life. For example, how the way we date, parent, school, and play are affected by the many shapes modern masculinity has its handle on us. This is the lives of men, as flawed, authentic, and complex as can be. This is Modern Manhood, a proud podcast of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV. So today on the podcast, we are joined by Julia Mooney. I 
saw first saw Julia on Instagram because I don't know how she came up into my feed, but Julia wore the same outfit for 100 days. And it was all, it gained so much national attention in the US. I think it got some attention here in Canada as well. But the whole purpose of this campaign was that she was trying to raise awareness of this culture of excess, uh, of all our overflowing closets, all the clothes that get thrown away, and also this sort of mentality that we have as consumers that we need to buy more, buy more, buy more. And it's not just related to the outfit. The outfit was really just a conversation starting point. So it sparked this really incredible discussion amongst her students, amongst you know, national media and listeners. We had a really great conversation about it and where she actually plans to go from here now that the 100 Days One Outfit project is complete. Julia is also a doula and I don't know, I, I didn't really know much about doulas until I actually had babies and had friends who had doulas in the experience. And I just, she shares a really interesting experiences of her work and some training that she's done in Africa and how we can really reclaim childbirth and motherhood. And I was just blown away by the conversation. She's also an art teacher and we talk about the impact of art and creativity on her students and how she sort of lives a creative life outside of the workplace. So it's a phenomenal conversation. I was so pleased to have Julia take some time out of her evening, her busy life. I know she's got kids and a family and busy jobs, so I really appreciate her taking the time. So if you want to check Julia out on Instagram, because I'm sure she's going to be doing some more things after this, you can find her at one outfit 100 days and I will link to that in today's show notes. Today's show notes can be found at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash 107. Now I want you guys to do me a very quick favor before we go into the interview. If you are listening to this on your phone, I want you to screenshot the episode and I would love for you to share it over on social media because I just kind of want to know what episodes you're listening to, what you're loving or... What I would also love is if you would share what you're doing while you're listening to an episode. Are you cooking dinner? Are you going for a walk with your dog? What are you up to? I would love to see how you listen to the Girl Tries Life podcast in the wild. So share it on social media. Tag me at Stressless Ladies, and I will give your posts a share. Thank you so much, guys. So without further ado, let's head into the interview. Well, thank you so much, Julia, for joining the podcast. I'm really pleased to have you. Yeah, thank you. So I, I don't know exactly how this happened, but somehow you came up in my Instagram feed. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not surprised now because I was just Googling you beforehand. And you like this project of yours, One Outfit 100 Days, has caught the news cycle like wildfire. So I'm hoping in case my listeners don't know what your project is, I'm hoping you could share it with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, it is kind of crazy how it's become this like sort of media sensation. But that's great because the ideas are really important to me. I really believe in the ideas behind the project. So I'm happy to talk about it and have that opportunity. So yeah, I mean, it really just kind of began when it was sort of the end of the summer. My husband and I are both school teachers. So we had just spent the whole summer living this very kind of like low-key, very minimalist kind of life, which we have been falling into for a couple of years. 
in like different facets of our lives. Like we garden a lot. We try to produce whatever we can, you know, and experiment with trying to make things instead of buying things. And so, so we were kind of already there. And then, you know, the summer's wrapping up and we're thinking about back to school shopping and thinking about, oh, now I have to like stop wearing like the same tank top every day also <laughs> and start actually wearing work clothes. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Why, why can't I just wear the same thing every day to work? What is wrong with that? Mm-hmm. You know, why, why can't I do that? There really is no rational reason why I can't do that because uh, it's good for the planet. You know, it's good for my emotional health to focus my energy on other things And, you know, if I'm doing a good job, then why can't I do that? And so, you know, we just joked about it at first, but then we started talking about it a little bit more seriously. And we just realized, like, we should really kind of do this and talk about these issues and use this as an opportunity to make our students see how they can question norms and be critical thinkers and talk about things if maybe they don't make sense. And so, yeah, that's 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 where it came from. And it's nuts because I think you posted either on your Insta stories or your Instagram the other day about the amount of clothing that is thrown out every year in the U.S. Yeah. Being like a football field that was how many feet deep or something? Yeah, 14 feet deep. That's insane. (laughs) Yeah, um, there are a lot of misconceptions. I mean, we when I started talking to my students and even my colleagues, you know, people say, well, you know, oh, well, I just donate my clothes when I'm done with them. And, and we all have the best intentions when we do that. But when you really dig deeper and find out what happens to those clothes, it's sometimes disappointing because a lot of times they end up in landfills anyway. So, you know, it was a great opportunity to talk about that. So I decided I would wear the dress for a hundred days <laughs> so that people would notice uh, there would be no way they couldn't notice so that we would really have to talk about all this so what was your students reaction like did they did they at first just think you know you're the kooky art teacher or what did they what yeah, did they say it was interesting right it was interesting because this um you know i've been a teacher this is my 10th year but um this is my first year i just moved from the high school to the middle school so nobody knew me, not even my colleagues. So it was really kind of weird <laughs> for me. <laughs> so yeah, I was really interested to see people's reactions too. So my students, some of them noticed right away, like on the second or third day, they would say, wait, didn't you just wear that? <laughs> and it would be like a little side conversation we would have. And then a lot of other kids, it took them forever. They are not paying attention <laughs> because I'm just the teacher, you know. <laughs> They're thinking about other things, but word really got around pretty quick. So, you know, people were talking about me. My colleagues were talking about me (laughs) behind my back. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I don't blame them. They just, they didn't know me. So they weren't really going to say to me, (laughs) Hey, what are you doing there? (laughs) They didn't want to, you know, be rude. So um, it was very interesting to see people's reactions. I felt very uncomfortable. (laughs) Like I was trying to be brave and, you know, stick to my convictions, but it was scary walking down the halls every day after a while, saying hi to these new people and just kind of knowing that they were silently wondering what she's all about and not talking to me about it. So I realized that I am a lot more self-conscious than I really wanted to admit. So it was interesting that way too. Well, I imagine around middle school children that that's not hard to be self-conscious around them. They're uh, 
it's an interesting age group but um it's interesting because if I think of my grandmother's generation I think they like they had tiny wardrobes tiny Mm -hmm. wardrobes and they wore the same things until the clothes were like on their like they would darn them until they were on their last legs and it seems I don't know if it was 70s 80s or when exactly it happened but we've just gone to this to this point of excess and absolutely is there any going back (laughs) yeah I I hope so it's that is an interesting question is there any going back and then you you have to people will ask me so how how do we address the this culture of excess that we've come to is it going to be government regulations or is it a cultural shift and I I kind of think it has to be both and this project for me was about shifting our cultural mindset in terms of you know how much we consume why we're consuming so much do we need to be consuming so much and you know in terms of fashion just that one small little aspect of our consumption right there we can make a huge change if we're willing to talk about why we're wearing something different every day and why are we doing that we're doing it for our vanity and and what are the costs there are human costs there are environmental costs and there's emotional costs for our our own well-being so i'm hoping that these conversations will start maybe a cultural shift and we could see a, a change yeah if i think back to my middle school years i can definitely remember very specific sort of outfits for each year based on what was mm-hmm. popular kind of thing but it's also such a, a period in in the age where it's just you want to fit in you want to fit in you want to fit in yeah. what what was the conversation with your students around like how to fit in without fashion being that part of it right that was that was a really great part of this for me because my daughter is in seventh grade so she's also going through the same things as my students so she participated in the project at the very end (laughs) the whole time I kept sort of teasing her like hey don't you want to join in (laughs) and she was not having it she was not (laughs) even going to wear the same thing two days in a row she was too scared she doesn't go to the same school that I teach in either so she's all alone you know it was a bigger deal for her so so she did ultimately wear the same thing for three days in a row and she told me that nobody noticed really she was amazed she even said to her really good friend like hey did you notice that I've been wearing this for the past two days and she said she would not have noticed if she hadn't said anything so that was an awesome opportunity to talk about how we worry more about what other people think about us than what they really are thinking about us and that we're all more concerned with ourselves and that we can connect with each other if we recognize that. So it was just a really good conversation to have with her about her self-image. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. Oh, yeah. I feel like I want to try try a mini version of this myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because middle schoolers are still, you know, their maturity level is such that they're trying to maybe define themselves with the brands that they're wearing with some really superficial things just because they're sort of grappling and trying to figure out who they are. And so it's a great moment to say, wait, 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 you want to define yourself based on things that are of substance that are meaningful. So it's like, it's been kind of nice to sort of catch them right there. Mm -hmm. I'm curious with the Marie Kondo series tidying up sweeping Mm -hmm. North America 
I like I have no doubt that millions of pieces of clothes have gone to Goodwill. Like, yeah. what's your thoughts on that? Like, in, in some ways, minimalism is great. In other ways, you're putting your junk on someone else to deal with. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it was a really funny coincidence I, that that kind of just blew up right in the middle of my project. Um, and, and people will ask me, like, well, so what is your new wardrobe going to look like? Is it only going to be, like, these five curated outfits? Or are you just going to, like, chuck everything now? <laughs> And I'm, I'm definitely not going to do that because we need to be really conscious of where all of our stuff is going. Nothing is really ever thrown away, right? It just gets thrown somewhere else. And, and giving things away, like I said before, it doesn't always go to anybody. And there are <laughs> – we could also talk about donations and how controversial that is when they end up in third world countries and how that can affect their economy in unexpected negative ways. So, so having less and buying less is the goal, but then what do we do with all the stuff we already have? And I think what the longer lesson, the longer minimalist lesson that we have to be willing to go through is not just this initial purge, but it's about using what we already have. So how can we be creative about upcycling and using what we have for as long as we possibly can? And, and that's what I plan to do now that I'm done with this project is, you know, my closet is my closet. My old closet is my new closet. I'm just going to try and keep it that way and refrain from buying as much as possible. Yeah. Well, and I think we've, we've lost this, not lost. I mean, they still exist with some people, but we're, we focus less on the skills like learning to sew and to alter and do all that, which are, are, are. Maybe our maybe our parents, but definitely our grandparents would have done because you've turned your one dress into two now, right? Yeah, I uh, only just last April, I bought a sewing machine and it's an old one. It's from 1967. I got a used one and I started to build up my sewing skills, which I had some like, you know, back in home ec in sixth grade, <laughs> you know, that those kind of skills. So just a little bit, but, um, I, you know, there's there, YouTube, you try things, you experiment and I've learned a lot and it's fun. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's very satisfying for me and it's a great creative outlet. And I, I would love to see more people f- kind of have that satisfaction. And I know that they want it because just by going through this I've gotten so much feedback where my friends are like hey you need to teach me how to sew I want it they want to know how we don't want to just be consumers we actually feel this void where we want to be able to produce more but we don't feel empowered to do that anymore like previous generations did I think there's an there's an intimidation factor to any new skill though right like I have a friend who is teaching me to sew right now and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm nervous about it. I'm very excited about it. But it's the same thing you're talking about. I had a, I had a swimsuit that I wore once and somehow like punctured, um, mm-hmm. which sucked. But now she's going to teach me how to use, use all the fabric that was left and turn it into a swimsuit for my daughter. Yeah. And yeah, I, I never would have awesome. thought of that, you know, so that's, right. wh- that's where like what you're saying, the creativity with sewing comes in. Yeah, it's not easy. I mean, I am not saying that. <laughs> no. It's yeah, a... I have definitely messed up a lot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, but, it's a skill set uh, for sure. Yeah, but like it kind of goes back to what you were saying about the, you know, a few decades ago when we had less and we made more of what we had. We uh, The sewing machines were as common as televisions are in people's homes <laughs> mm-hmm. today. So, and, you know, my house is 
an older home. And when we came in here, there are really no closets. <laughs> True. Because they just didn't have as much. And um, we were like, what do we do here? You know, so we like turned our attic, like half of our attic into our giant closet. And now I'm like up there thinking, wow, we need to, we need to just think differently about this. And just why do we have so much? (laughs) Has it, I'm like, it sounds like your students are still a little hesitant and I totally get it. The age group that they're in, has this changed? Mm -hmm. Like your, I know your husband did the challenge with you. Is he, and, yeah. he, and he's still wearing it, right? He is. Yeah. That, he was making his own little point that, you know, there's nothing wrong with this. There's, there's nothing just because the hundred days are up, you know, why does he need to change? He doesn't. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's a, so perfectly fine. So he's really driving home that slow fashion point. I like it. Has it changed your, like your friends and your closer personal network? Yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah, it has. Um, I, you know, it's not like I lost my old friends or anything, but I have definitely met a lot of people who are, they want to, like I said, they want to have these conversations. It's interesting. Like we're not every, everybody's kind of just ready to talk about this. I think we're all maybe a little fed up with this culture of excess and trying to keep up with everyone and constantly buy, buy, buy. And I think the sustainability piece is key, right? Like with climate change right. being the way it is, I think we're all a little yep. more concerned and any, any things that we can do to the policy changes feel so far away for me, at least like so far out of my control that these are the things that you can control in your own household, right? Absolutely. And that I think, you know, I think that was a huge ma- motivator for me too, because I felt helpless. Like I think a lot of us feel and this was a way to to feel like I was contributing and making a difference on behalf of my children, <laughs> yeah. Because they are the ones who are going to be here, and I'm giving the planet to them. So I felt like I needed to do something, and I felt like I need to show them and my students how you can break through the noise and get your voice heard and make yourself feel like you're making a difference. Yeah. So I know you said people have asked, but I do have to ask. So you're going to keep using the outfits in your wardrobe. So you're just going to try and adapt or like, um, like mend anything yeah. that needs to be mended, but you'll have a little bit more variety in your life now. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to have the variety that's in my closet. So yeah. I still have a lot of clothes. I mean, I have plenty of fast fashion sins in there. <laughs> yeah. So, so I may as well use them, right? I'm not throwing them out. Yeah. So I'm going to use them until I have to cut them up and make them into a huge quilt. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So, yeah. yeah. So you're I, like, as we mentioned, you're an art teacher. I'm just curious because I don't, I think North America, uh, sorry, the U.S. would be similar to Canada. We're seeing this huge push for STEM, um, science, technology, engineering, and math, for those that don't know. And I feel like a little bit art and creativity have sort of been, you know, swept to the side, you know, some people talk about steam with the A for art, but what do you see as the biggest sort of impact of art and creativity on your students? Yeah, well, for me, art is, you know, you, it's completely interdisciplinary, and it's, you can't separate it from life. But that's obviously my perspective. But you know, I think that often art is seen as the easy class. But in reality, it takes immense amounts of courage to be truly creative. It's scary to really put yourself out there and go against the grain, try things that haven't been done. 
And so, you know, as an educator, I'm highly aware that creating is where we really find that higher level thinking, which is what we're all trying to get to as teachers. So, you know, like creating, evaluating, questioning, these are, that's like, (laughs) that's the real learning there. And so these are really essential life skills and they lend themselves to progress and a sense of self-assurance for our, our kids as they're growing older. It leads them to be critical thinking citizens. So I think art is essential. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because I, I wouldn't have necessarily made that tie in terms of critical thinking and evaluation. But I guess that's the same thing, right? Like, why, why do we say some art is good art? And you have to really put that thought process into it. Oh, yeah. And if you're going to create anything good, you need to be able to evaluate what you've done and reevaluate. And so and and, and the, a lot of art, you know, the meaning behind art is essentially a question. You're questioning society, you're questioning a norm. And that's really important. Yeah. So a lot of adults that I know, <laughs> moms, especially, we're very busy people. You know, you get the kids to school, you're, you know, you have your work day. It's dinner on the table, bedtime, all that kind of stuff. I feel like when we're adults, creativity can really go by the wayside. So what does art in your, aside from your day job, what does art in your day-to-day life look like? Yeah. When I was um, in my twenties, like I, I was, uh, I would paint these huge oil paintings and I would go to the life, you know, sketch drawing sessions. And like, I was like, doing the artist thing and then I had kids (laughs) and it was just like no way not happening anymore I can't leave these oil paints out (laughs) yeah and you know I could not like put my my energy into a long-term project anymore like that so things are very different and I really struggled with that and I was kind of lost I think but eventually I kind of realized that creativity can come in many unexpected forms. So like I found myself channeling it into things like gardening, which it, to me is very creative. And I'm, our our yard is the craziest on the block for sure. <laughs> we we have all kinds of crazy things. We're trying, we're like permaculture wannabes. So <laughs> we have all kinds of stuff going on out there. And then I learned to knit. Knitting is a great thing to do when you have kids. Yeah. Because because you can do it while you're watching them in the bath and you could put, put, put it down and, you know, you just you always have it there and you feel like that creative satisfaction. You just but hope they don't so stab each other with the knitting needles. <laughs> oh, yeah. My kids know not to touch the knitting needles. <laughs> don't touch mommy's knitting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so sewing and then this 100 Days project has has been a creative outlet for me, too. So. I mean, you know, I always love this quote Michelangelo once said that an artist, you know, a real artist has no other choice but to create. Like you can't do anything uh, but create if you're really an artist. And I really think that's true. Um, I mean, if you really are, it's going to find its way out of you (laughs) in one form or another. And you just have to be open to different forms of creative expression. Yeah. I think some of the messaging we've also been getting those, you know, say you make jewelry on the side or you, you sew or you do whatever, there seems to have been this push to make that your side hustle, to make an income from it. Like I need to make money. Yeah, that's that. And I'm not about that. No. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, oh yeah. in Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic, you know, she talks about creativity for creativity's sake and not um, 
not putting Absolutely. this dollar amount on it. Um, oh, to, to me, those are completely separate things. The the monetary income, mm -hmm. like, I mean, I went through as an artist, you know, I've gone through that. And before I was a teacher, I was a freelance artist and I made my money by working for other people and making their creative vision come to life. And that to me is a much different thing than <laughs> your own creative expression. And and I don't, sometimes I think uh, money can really distort that and it's often better left out of the equation. Yeah. So do you have a next project or are you taking a break? <laughs> <laughs> I am sure something will come up. It's always unexpected. <laughs> yeah. Right now, I really want to get back to my work as a doula. So uh, that's sort of been put on the back burner during this whole thing. When, so. when I read that you were a doula, I found that so fascinating because until I was pregnant with my son, I honestly hadn't heard of doulas before because I, I <laughs> my brain was just, you know, you go to the hospital, you have a baby. It wasn't, I, I didn't realize there were all these other options and other support systems in there. So in case anyone out there was like me and doesn't know what exactly a doula is, maybe you could <laughs> give us the rundown. Yeah, a doula is an interesting role that has come back to life nowadays in the Western world because we have this mainstream medicine kind of environment where we're all having babies and now the husband is there or the partner often, but then a lot of times we're missing that female support. So our mother may live far away or, you know, somebody can't really be there for us and we're very much focused on the health of the baby, which is, of course, important. But then the mother gets forgotten and a doula is there to support the mother. And it could be for an unmedicated birth or it could be for a C-section. But the, the doula is there to empower the mother and help her to feel like she had a satisfying birth experience, which is so important. And so I don't think it people put enough importance on a mother feeling satisfied with her birth experience. Cause we, it's a huge, huge moment in our lives. We never forget it. Yeah. And it can, it can have a really positive or negative impact. And were you, did you become a doula after you had children or before? After. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my, my first was a, a really, my first was a difficult experience because he, we knew he had a major heart defect. He was going to need open heart surgery immediately upon birth or he was going to die. So I was completely focused on him <laughs> and whatever they needed to do for him. And we had him at a special hospital, you know, for, to address all of that. And so I ended up with a C-section and I felt really out of control of that experience. So with my second, I really wanted to have what I I wanted to know what it was like to have a baby <laughs> the way I thought I was always supposed to. So I hired a doula for that. And it was such a transformative experience for me. It was something that I felt moved to help other women have in the same way that I was drawn to teaching because I, you know, my experience with art was something that I wanted to empower others with. So they really kind of come together for me in that way. And doulas provide pre and postnatal care as well, correct? Or some support. Yeah. yeah a, a doula, well, there are postpartum doulas who would just do, do that. But um, like a birth doula will be there continuously through your labor and delivery and for an, like an hour or two afterwards. And then they'll come visit you like a week later to help you with breastfeeding and make sure you're doing okay with sleep and things like that. Yeah. 
how do you tie uh, like how can you be a doula and a teacher in terms of like timing oh yeah <laughs> well I'm working that out okay <laughs> a lot of babies are born in the summer and okay. so I have my summers and there are programs where I live where you can be a doula you sign up for shifts so um, like with some of our local hospitals that we have kind of a system worked out so yeah, I, I kind of do it that way. And I just take births when I know I'm going to be available. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I feel like it was, to me, it's all about empowerment. Um, you know, I, and, and my experience as a woman and kind of sharing that with other women, you know, I mean, I don't know, as women, we're sort of given these mixed messages about our strength, you know, so my, mm -hmm. my parents taught me to be strong. They were great about that, you know, but then when I grew up and started coming of age in my twenties and stuff, I realized that society doesn't always view strength in women as attractive. They it's viewed as something that's not feminine and it's like sort of threatens men and it's like unbecoming. And it's, you know, so I was really conflicted about that. But then when I had a baby and I was like going through that, it was a place where I was really allowed to indulge in every ounce of strength that I knew I had <laughs> And that's a strength that all women have. And as a doula, I feel like I'm there. I can help remind them that it's there. So it's a very empowering thing for me. Yeah. I imagine one of the things you're able to sort of work with women during their labor is to help take away some of the fear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, because we, we should have faith in our bodies that we're made to do this. Yeah. And there is a lot of fear these days, sadly, associated with childbirth. And yeah. <laughs> See, I knew my body was capable of it, but in the moment, it was just, I, for me, had yeah. made a poor decision for me, not for other people, but for me not to have drugs with my second child, and I, I, I was real scared. <laughs> oh, you, you made the decision not to have drugs, and it was a bad decision, you felt? Well, with my son, we, I had an epidural, but I didn't realize it was possible for an epidural to pool. So be uh, because I had to keep lying on one side because his uh, cord was pressing on his neck. So basically, I was numb in all the areas that didn't matter. And when it came oh. time to push, I was not numb where it mattered. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. That's really rough. Well, and yeah. so the second time I thought, well, if if this ch if there's a chance of this happening again, I want to be in control and be able to move around and like try different things instead of being stuck laying down. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I don't... Uh, uh, it, pain, never, <laughs> never experienced pain like that. I was really lucky to have both my mom and my, um, my husband there though. My mom was a, she's a great coach. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's like nothing else. It's, it's, it's like nothing else you will ever experience and going through an unmedicated labor is, uh, you know, you, you wonder if you're out of your mind, <laughs> you do that voluntarily, <laughs> But when you get through it, it's like you ran a marathon. If you really, you did it you, and you felt the whole thing, you experienced it. And a doula can help, uh, you know, a, a good doula who has a good connection with the mom can help that to be a good experience. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Oh, I've a, I have a friend that had a doula and she absolutely adored the experience. And she's, you know, she's doing it for round two as well. So she's really happy. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but you, like you, I can even just hear from you talking about it, like, it sticks with you. <laughs> it's a very deep, deep thing. And I would, I just like helping women get through that to the point where it's going to be something that they're going to remember positively because yeah. it empowers you to be a good mom yeah. and a confident mom. 
So yeah, I felt like a badass afterwards. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah, a terrified (laughs) badass. But I was like, I can't believe I did that. But now you feel like you can do anything. I mean, at least that's how I felt. Yeah, I I always think now like, oh, I did that. I can do this. (laughs) Yeah. So what is it like for you emotionally being there for like these the most pivotal moments in a woman's life? I guess I just see it like I see other things. It's a challenge. (laughs) And challenges are sort of a big thing for me. So I guess it goes right along with the one outfit 100 days challenge. I just think that I really see challenges as a way to embrace life and get the most out of life because, you know, without challenges, there's no growth, you know? And so we just, once you overcome one challenge, then you can stand tall and stand on top of that one and you can see the next thing more clearly. And that's just how I view it for myself emotionally. So staying calm on behalf of the woman or the mother and, and, you know, getting through it myself is my own, my own challenge. So. Yeah. The emotions that you must be witness to, like, it's just incredible. Yeah. I mean, birth is yeah. incredible, so. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's an honor for sure to be part of that. Yeah. This is going to be a terrible question, but are you, you're mostly up at the mother's end or are you down at the business end also? <laughs> um, Either one. Yeah. Wherever you need to be. Yeah. <laughs> wherever you need to be and and also am helping the partner you know if if dad's there it you can really empower dad too because they they a lot of times don't know how to help their wives or their their girlfriends or whoever it is you know and and they they feel out of control so you're there for them too and it's really great to feel like you because if they have a good experience together you know that can be awesome for their relationship so if you can help facilitate that it's it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Like that's what life to me, it's like in those moments, you're like, this is what it's all about. So it sounds to me like you've got such a well-rounded, meaningful life. So I'm really, really, (laughs) really happy for you. (laughs) Well, it's very busy and crazy and it has its up and downs. So, you know, we're we're all going through the same crazy journey here. (laughs) Yeah. And your mom of three, what are their ages? Two and a half. Yep. Four and a half, and he's almost five now, and 12. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you are busy. <laughs> yeah. 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 And we're definitely in the thick of it right now. Oh, yeah. I have a three year old and a nine month old, and they are ke- keeping us yeah. on our toes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Totally. Uh huh. But, you know, you got to live in the moment and know that it's not going to last forever and try and survive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'll move into the five wrap-up questions that we ask all of our guests. Mm-hmm. So is, I, I imagine we've talked about some of them, but are there certain things or projects that get you really fired up in a good way? Yeah, I was, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about that. And like, it, at least in this project, that this one outfit, 100 days, this was one of those times when if you speak up against something that's, very normal to people or you're suggesting change people get very uncomfortable with that some some people do and then they they criticize and people had a lot of criticism we didn't even talk about that but oh my god (laughs) yeah but but it was a challenge for me I always kind of see that as a a way to an opportunity to respond with grace (laughs) instead of responding defensively and sort of modeling that for my students, because we see a lot of issues with cyberbullying and 
people not really knowing how to have a functional discourse about topics. So I like in this project, it was nice to be able to be somebody who responds carefully with hard evidence, you know, assertively, and yet also with grace and never getting defensive. So it was like a sort of a side goal that I, I felt I felt like was a really important part of this project. Yeah. Was this criticism mostly online or in person as well? Mostly online. People aren't really going to criticize you too much in real life. Yeah. <laughs> People aren't always that confrontational. Yeah. But even like emails I would get from the community, just sort of unsolicited thoughts and interviews that I would have with different media personalities. They would ask sort of, I don't know, offensive questions. And I just really, really always tried not to be offended and to respond very carefully. So. Oh my gosh. I hope I haven't been offensive. Oh, no, 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 okay. no, 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 not at all, not at yeah. all. It wasn't too much, but, you know, it happened. Yeah. Um, and and I, I see those moments. I don't even get upset. I'm like, yes, here it is. <laughs> yeah. Bring it on. <laughs> well, and so. I, I wonder if some of those are also looking for the sort of clickbait media that we're kind of getting used to, right? Like if they can get a certain yeah. reaction or a certain headline out of it. Exactly. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I don't know if you are a passionate reader, but is there a a favorite book of yours in the past few years? It's so hard to choose. I know. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I read, I like reread things too. You know, I have the, you know, the prophet, the poetry book. It's one of my, I'm always going back to that. And I just read, well, not just read actually, it's been a while now, but it, fresh in my mind is Ina May's guide to childbirth. I, I read that before I went to Africa in October for some doula work there and so that's that's just that was a a huge influence for me in becoming a doula and yeah I highly recommend it to anybody who's having going to have a baby it it really gives you a great perspective on being a woman and your ability to have a baby (laughs) oh I wish I'd read that because what to expect when you're expecting is the devil in my oh yeah 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 yeah, no, I, right. This was a this was a great book because it had a lot of anecdotes about women who went through natural childbirth with um, in all different situations, and it was very like intimate and candid, and um, it's a great book. Awesome. Sorry, and I have to ask, what what was the doula work you were doing in Africa? So there's a birth house in Africa. It's called Shanti Uganda in Uganda, and they provide, you know, care for mothers who and they allow women to have babies in a safe place with dignity with midwives and they really try to encourage women to come to the birth house to have their babies and so there's a huge uh, maternal death rate in Uganda and they're fighting against that so I was there kind of volunteering and supporting that birth house and yeah like women will have babies in their house, they're more likely to stay there and do it. And that's when the problems happen because they have no medical attention. So they really try and encourage them to come to the birth house and all the women there, nobody's expecting an epidural. They don't have pain medicine. Yeah, (laughs) they are. And they are not afraid because that's what everyone does. And that's what they expect. They they have confidence in their body's ability to do it because they've seen everyone around them do it. And it was a really awesome, refreshing perspective to, to be there and just see how they view birth and how birth is such a universal experience for women. Yeah. 
It's it's interesting that you're saying the confidence piece because I remember my midwife. I had major issues breastfeeding. My babies just do not like to latch. And mm-hmm. I remember saying to her, like, it's part of it just seems so scary and so terrifying, not terrifying, so scary, but so like abnormal for me. Cause I did like, I just didn't, you know, never breastfed before. didn't know how to do it. Oh yeah. And she would, right. ta- you know, she talked about how like, you know, in cultures previous or like, you know, would reference Africa or whatnot, like you would see yeah. people knew how to breastfeed. Cause I said, how did you do, how do, how do people do this without lactation consultants? And she's like, well, yeah. you would see everyone in the community doing it. It wasn't like it out in the open, never abnormal, like just part of raising yeah. children. So you had that confidence because it was part of your culture. Exactly. And they still have that there. And, you know, for, we talk about what we talk a lot about what they don't have yeah. <laughs> in Africa, but they have a lot to offer us. And I, to be honest with you, I saw very little suffering. You know, there was poverty, no doubt for sure, but there were so many smiles. People were living their lives. They weren't looking at the clock. They were, it was, it's something you have to experience, I think. And yeah. I felt um, drawn to Africa to really, um, I don't know. I just felt like I didn't know what I didn't know and I needed to see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I've been to six countries in Southern Africa and it's exactly what you're saying. That's just yeah. this yeah. So, you know, vitality yeah. for life that, um, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I imagine <laughs> teaching, raising children, uh, being a doula at times can have it, their stressful moments. So what are your go-to yeah. methods for handling stress? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess wine is not the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't really work anyway. Sometimes <laughs> I think it's going to work and I just get tired. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess, you know, we were talking about childbirth, but childbirth is sort of this like microcosm of life and stress. And, you know, we just have to breathe through this contraction, right? You could think of it as a metaphor. We just have to get through this moment, get through this day, you know, and in birth, we got to get through this contraction where they get through the next five minutes. That's all we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we'll deal with what comes after that. So living in the present is probably my go-to like I just gotta stop you know do what's here in front of me and when I can rest I rest and you know yeah (laughs) yeah no that's great what's the best life lesson that you've learned or advice that you've been given um I guess you know most of my life lessons came from my father he's he was like really big about quotes he had quotes all over our house (laughs) Yeah. Um, and he, you know, like, and I, I still quote them all the time. My husband makes fun of me, but mm-hmm. like they left an impact. Um, and, you know, he had a George Bernard Shaw quote in our bathroom that said, people are always blaming circumstances for what they are. And he says, I do not believe in circumstances. The people who get on in this world are the people who get up and look for the circumstances they want. And if they cannot find them, they make them. And to me, that was always such a like, not, you know, backwards way of viewing things and it was very empowering to me to realize like you know you know what I am in charge of my life so you know um yeah so so I would say my dad yeah (laughs) my dad always gave me like words of wisdom so it's it's interesting that you're saying that that quote being about empowerment because I mean I've known you for a grand total of 43 minutes but like you everything you do seems to be about empowering people, like empowering your students to 
uh, harness their creativity to be critical yeah. thinkers, um, you know, imp empowering yourself, empowering yeah. women through being a doula. Like this just seems to be a core part of your, I guess you're right. Yeah. I never realized, but you're completely right. <laughs> <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is my favorite part about people. I get to know you in a short space of time. So I see, I sometimes see something different. But... Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I do, I really think that that is why I teach that that's always in my mind when having with my children, especially my daughters. So, you know, I want them to feel like they can do anything. I want them to have that confidence and, and that doesn't just happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, and there are a lot of things fighting against that in our society. Yeah. I like to think it's getting better, but maybe it's getting better because of all the intention we're putting on it. Yeah. Yeah. Either way. I, I hope it is too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so the final question, Julia, is what does it mean to you to live your best life? Hmm. Well, I, I, then I hate to go back to the challenge thing again, because I keep saying that one too, but, um, that's a big thing for me. That's a theme for me. Um, and sort I, I feel frustrated when I see other people shrinking from challenges because they're denying themselves the opportunity to, surprise themselves and to learn to respect themselves and empower themselves, you know? So you, to me, that's what living is, is getting asked challenges, facing your fears and, and embracing the life that, that is in front of you. That's, there are so many opportunities in front of you, but you, you need to face your fears and reach out and grab it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Julia, for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. 